Hello and welcome to Sportay. I'm Taylor, your host, and we are back with a regular co-host of ours, Hayden. Welcome back into the studio. G'day, Tay. How are you going? I'm going great. We have a very special episode lined up for you. On the phone to us all the way from Korea is Australian professional football player, Nick Ansel. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nick. No worries at all, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> Nick, you first started playing way back in 2012 with Melbourne Victory, but you came through the VIS system. How do you think talent pathways like the VIS prepared you for professional football? Yeah, the VIS was really good. I also come through there with a couple of boys now that have played for the Socceroos recently in Jimmy Jago and, and Bailey Wright. So it was really good for us. The facilities were really good. We were using the Access Centre. That's what it was called. I don't know if it's called the same thing now. We're Collingwood Train. So we had everything. We had great physios, great facilities. And yeah, really set me up well to try and make it as a professional player. So you've had a huge career. You played an important role in the 2014 and 2015 Premiership and Championship double for Melbourne Victory. What was it like? Probably one of the best seasons I've had. I played most of the games. I had a little injury at the start of the year and then I played the rest of the season and and the team that year was, was really great. I mean, we had some great players playing in our team and the confidence we had as a team going out every week was just something I haven't really felt since to be honest and it was yeah a really special moment for me and Melbourne victory of course and I always look back at those memories as as great highlights of of my career. So you signed when you're around 16 years old what was it like signing at such a young age? Yeah it was it was really good it come of a bit of surprise I mean I was playing at the VIS and then got asked to come down to Melbourne victory and have a few training sessions and yeah the, the coach I think pulled me in after the third one and said they wanted to sign me on a youth professional contract so yeah it was really exciting it was tough to juggling school and and soccer at the same time because I'd go to training around eight o'clock in the morning and then I'd leave training at maybe 12 30 and then rush to school on the train and get to school about one o'clock and yeah sometimes I didn't even have any classes in at the end of the day because I had a few spares so I was trying to catch up it was difficult because they also were suggesting that I might stop my school in there and do homeschooling or something but I really enjoyed going into school with and seeing all my friends after training because the team back then was quite an older team so most of the players were around 30 so it was really good to go into school and just be a normal kid for the rest of the day really. <laughs> do you think that there's a potential at starting at such a young age was there ever worries about burning out you know around football and juggling football and school and everything at once? It, it, yeah, it was definitely tough at the start for me because I was playing with players back then like Archie Thompson and Kevin Musker who ended up being my coach when we, we won that season and they obviously had a big impact on my career and I was kind of a bit starstruck at first and then it was tough because, you know, I was trying to get up to speed and with the senior team and, you know, sometimes I was thinking, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not good enough for this level because sometimes I was struggling a little bit in training. But looking back at it now, I it was a great experience and it definitely helped me continue into my career because probably back then was probably the toughest because I actually had a two-year contract. And then when I was 18 and year 12, they decided not to re-sign me because the club was going through a few changes with coaches. And so and we had a really bad, bad season that season for Melbourne Victory. Uh, we didn't even make the finals. So they decided to not re-sign me and then put me back on a youth team contract. And that was 
tough at the time. I mean, my teachers were asking my mum and dad why I was at school so much and they had to break the news to them. Yeah. But then it kind of turned a switch for me and I, I wouldn't say I took it for granted, but I didn't realise how good the opportunity I really had. That year in year 12, I really knuckled down and just really focused on my soccer and I got a, a new contract at the end of the year. 2012 and I signed three and a half years and there was the new coach put in then that was a really I guess great moment for me because when I did lose the contract I was I wasn't too sure if I was going to make it professional or not after that again so yeah that was it was a good moment for me. So then coming out the back end of that can you remember was there a certain moment where you sort of realized or ever thought I've made it here you know at a certain point where you thought geez I'm a, I'm a professional football player now? After five or six games with the first team, I, I kind of realised that I am, you know, I do have a good career. I can have a good career here. And, um, yeah, it kind of all took off off from then. I have to thank Ange Postacoglu, who was the Socceroos coach back then, who brought me back in and gave me that deal. And it's kind of all followed on from there. So talking about you as a, a young professional football player... There's a lot of kids out there trying to make it and it's so competitive. What is your advice to those kids out there? I'd probably say, or I mean, it's pretty cliche. I mean, I think you always have to enjoy playing football and then when you're enjoying, I mean, you just, you love training and, and you do push yourself more and um, it is competitive. I'd say you have to be very disciplined and and any knockbacks that you get along the way as a young player, you just have to keep going and keep pushing because there's so many doors that open in, in a soccer crowd. At 16, I was thinking, geez, this is awesome. Then 18, I was going, oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what, what's going to happen. And I never gave up. And, and that's probably the, the best one I, I could say is just if you really believe in yourself, just never, never give up on, on what you really want to do. At the start of this year, you, you obviously signed with Jonam in Korea's K-League 2. From what you've seen, what are the main differences yep. between Korean and, and Australian football? Korean football is very different to Australia. I mean, the Korean League's been running for a, a lot longer time, so the setup here is, is definitely better. I mean, with my club, for instance, the facilities is great. Like, I have my own, almost like a hotel room at my clubhouse. But then I've also got my apartment in the city so I've got two rooms so in between trainings I can go there and, and sleep and rest and then uh, train in the afternoon as well and also the league here is really uh, a good standard because people in, in Australia see it as uh, like the second league in Korea but there's actually a few national team players that play for Korea against Australia not, not too long ago that are actually playing in the second division as well so the setup's really good here and I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. What do you think the main differences then between the Korean and Australian fans are? Korean fans are definitely, um, they're pretty vocal, especially for the big teams. They love their selfies and photos with you, that's for sure. Um, there's, there's not too much difference. I mean, the fans that I was playing for in Australia were definitely the best in Australia. So I'm used to, you know, everyone screaming and yelling and, and some great chants going on in the background while you're playing and, and obviously, if you're not, the team's not doing too well, they can also get on your back. So it's it's pretty similar, to be honest, with with the fans in that's that kind of sense. 
Is there another level of sort of excitement and, and pressure that comes with playing in a, a setup with promotion and relegation as opposed to the, to the A-League that doesn't have that? Yeah, I think it's massive. I mean, the team I moved to got relegated from K1 last year, so they're really trying to push back up into to K1. And at the start, we haven't actually done too well, but we've had a lot of new players come, new coach, new foreign coach come to the team and so the goal is to get back up into to k1 and it makes a massive difference i mean when you're playing for something the whole season there's obviously like you said there is a, a lot more pressure and um i mean in the a league if you if you have a bad season it, it doesn't really matter because you're going to be there next year so but if you have a bad season here then you know you're going down and for the korean players a lot of things change. I think even some of their salaries can change with going down the league. So everyone's playing for a lot, that's for sure. Well, it's not your first time you've played overseas. In 2017 and 18, you made a lot of appearances for Tondela in Portugal's Premier League. How's your career and skills developed by playing in one of Europe's top leagues? Yeah, that was one of the best moves I've done for me as as a football player and trying to get better as a footballer that was uh, definitely the best decision I've made it was really tough I mean also I had to try and learn Portuguese so I, I can speak a little bit of Portuguese while Impressive. on the pitch can I say it is yeah, it one of the world's sexiest languages so it's a yeah. great it's a great language to, uh, to speak I don't know it's pretty hard I really I there's so many um verbs that are changing it's I really, I really struggled. I think I'm just not good with languages in general because <laughs> even the Korean language is, is a tough one to pick up. But, yeah, I, I love my time in Portugal. It, it was great. I mean, the football there is really good. It's really high standard and, yeah, I, I really enjoyed every moment. Now that you've had a taste of European football, well, the goal for most of the professional footballers is to play in one of Europe's top leagues. Do you hope to get back out there to play in a Europe team? Yeah, I mean, if the opportunity came up, I mean, I I was meant to stay there for this season. I mean, last season that just uh, passed, but I cut my contract short. I had an injury in my knee that I did in training, and the medical staff at Melbourne Victory is, is really good. So that was the reason why I came back home, because of that injury, because it was quite a serious injury. I'd love to head back to Europe one day if the chance came up, but I'm really enjoying Asia at the moment, and if I could stay in Asia for as long as possible, it'd be great, but there's also challenges in Asia as well, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to go back to Europe, but we'll just see what see what happens, I guess. So you've now played for a lot of teams around the world. What is, and what was the transition period going from an Australian football club to an international football club? When I went to Portugal, the, the standard was high, so that was something that I needed to get used to. So the transitioning period there was, it wasn't tough for me, but at times it was definitely challenging. And then here in Korea, the football isn't as high as Portugal. So the football side of things is pretty good for me here, but I just have got to get used to the lifestyle. And in Asia, obviously it's different to Europe and Australia again. So the food, just their culture in general. So yeah, but I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. I mean, the Koreans are really friendly people as well and they help me out a lot around the club. So I can't complain. Can't complain. Nick, the A-League's been in a bit of decline off the field for the last couple of years. Just recently, last month, I think it was, uh, an agreement was reached 
for the FFA to relinquish control of the A-League uh, in time for next season. The chairman of the FFA, Chris Niku, he said that this would allow the clubs to have greater control over the strategic and commercial direction of the league. So... This is looking like it could pave the way for the abolition of the salary cap. Do you think that would be good for, for the top flight of Aussie football? I think the salary cap is obviously a big talking point. I mean, I think if they did get rid of the salary cap, they would bring a lot more Australian players back home. I mean, at the end of the day, the players do love playing at home and sometimes it does come down to financially how much they can get maybe playing in Australia or club overseas where there is no um, salary cap. So... I think that's a massive talking point and if the salary cap was to go, it'd only benefit Australian football definitely because even in Korea, they don't have a salary cap so they can keep their international players playing for some of the bigger teams and obviously the better players, it it attracts uh, more crowds and, and more interest to the league with the higher profile players so... I think if it was to go, it, it would be a great thing. Um, it just depends if the clubs have the money to, to do it or not, mm. really. Another massive talking point in the A-League has always been the, the argument for promotion and relegation between the leagues. Obviously, if, if that was introduced, it could you know pave the way for some big clubs like South Melbourne or even Bentley, which you spent some time with, to put in a bid. Do you think promotion and relegation is realistic for the, for the A-League and we could see that in the near future? Yeah, I think it's definitely realistic. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to financially if, if they can they can sort that all out. I mean, it only benefit the league and then the competition as well because, like I said before, obviously the players at the bottom of bottom end of the table, it, the season's not over. You know, they're still fighting for something. So, and then you have those teams in the second division also pushing to get promotion. So it would uh, help Australian football massively. I think definitely, and um, also give it a bit more promotion in Australia as well with clubs like South Melbourne and Bentley. Like you said, they're massive teams, so they also bring more people to to the soccer. Talking about Australian teams, when you change teams in general, are you superstitious and want the same number? Because I read an article that last year when you and Kazuku Honda re-signed with Melbourne Victory, (laughs) you both wanted the number four jersey and that he actually took you out for dinner to settle the deal. Is this true or false? I think it's the funniest story. Can you please (laughs) shed some light into this whole situation? It's true. Um, I I came back and Keske hadn't hadn't signed yet. And I knew he'd played with number four for Japan in the national team. So I I thought he might have wanted the number. So I was getting prepared for it. I mean, I just got it back because one of the players that was playing with it the season before had left as well. So... I was buzzing to get get the number back, but then he came into the gym and Kevin Musket uh, took me aside and he said, "Look, um, Kesko wants to wear number four this season. And, you know, he's a massive player, so there's not there's not too much I could say at the time." And then he come up to me, I think the second day at training, he said, "I want to take you out for dinner to say thank you for giving me the jersey." So we went to Nobu at Crown, and yeah, he looked after me the whole night, and we actually got along. Uh, really well after that for the remaining time that I was there for. So, yeah, it was it was really nice of him. Nobu and Crown, one of Melbourne's finest restaurants. Aren't you lucky? I was definitely um, balling out that night, so it was good. <laughs> Did he covered it, I assume? Yeah, he covered it. He just pulled out the uh, the wad of cash in his pocket and, and off we went. <laughs> Did you ever realistically consider pushing back and going, hold on, mate? I want a few more nah, dinners out of you before... I mean, 
I mean, the boys did give me a bit of stick in the change room, but then they found out he took me out for dinner, so I think they were, they were all a bit jealous. So, it was all <laughs> so you're in love with the number four. Does that mean you're superstitious? Uh, I don't know if I'm superstitious. I don't know. I had a lot of good moments in the number four, so I, I, I kind of guess you could say I am, but I have a few favourite numbers. Um, I'm number five here in Korea, but I was also number four in, in Portugal as well, so I had that number four. I think five, six seasons. So I do have a soft spot for number four. <laughs> and I did try to get number four here as well, but another player already had it. You should have taken yeah. him out to dinner. <laughs> See, that would have changed his I mind. I should have. I should have. I should have. I definitely should have. But yeah, I, I, I just let it be. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nick, you're still, as you said, trying to just establish yourself in Korea. But long term, what would your ideal career be? Um. I, I'd love to stay in Asia for as long as possible, like I said before. I mean, I would love to play for the Socceroos, obviously. And I think if, if I can have a good season here and push to maybe get the team up into K1 or or see what the future holds, but that's all obviously a dream of mine. And um, so my next next move will will definitely be trying to have that in the back of my mind. But at the moment... Obviously, I'm just thinking about the club football and, and trying to play as much as possible and, and play as good as I can and um, just see where it takes me, really. But I, I do really love the, the Asian football and and I'm also really loving the lifestyle here as well. So, yeah, if I could stay in Asia for as long as possible, I mean, things do change pretty quick in football, but that's the goal for me at the moment. So it sounds like you've transitioned into Asia pretty well. Are there any? What are the main sort of main challenges that present to moving overseas and being away from home? I think definitely here in Korea is the food because we have the clubhouse where we have chefs and that they cook us lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sometimes I'll only have rice and and a little bit of meat. So sometimes that can be challenging with the food. Also, the language in Korea and Portugal was also a challenge. I think it was more easier for me in Portugal to, to speak Portuguese. And they also know English pretty well there also. And, and I guess living away from home, you're by yourself a lot. So you, you kind of have to get used to your own company. And so, yeah, that can also be a challenge at times. I love professional football. When I was younger, I actually watched Bender Like Beckham. Have you heard of it? <laughs> it is a great yeah, yeah, yeah. movie. And then since that day, well, I, I don't really have that good football skills at all. But <laughs> since that day, when I watched it, I was like, I want to become a professional football player. The question I have for you is, who inspires you? I always love watching a player called Steven Gerrard. I always used to just love everything he did on the football pitch. So I guess he was someone I looked up to. I mean, I don't know him, so I did play against him, luckily enough, when Liverpool yeah. came to, to Melbourne. So that was really great. So, yeah, he, he was kind of an inspiration to me. I always wanted to, to score goals like him and, and kind of play like him, even though I play central defence now and he was central midfield. So, so did you grow up supporting Steven, yeah. any Premier League club? I just supported Liverpool just because of Steven Gerrard. You'd be very happy with the result a few weeks ago. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That, that's a massive, 
massive win. I mean, since he's moved on now, I don't really follow them as much. So, but uh-huh. I still obviously have a soft spot for them. Yeah, a question that I've always wondered: growing up, obviously, if you support a club, when you became a professional player and you're in the professional system yourself, do you still have that same sort of level of support for other professional clubs, or is it just all about your own team? I used to go and watch victory matches when I was a young guy. Like my mum would take me, so. We used to go to the games and, and watch Melbourne Victory together, so to play for them was a dream come true for me, definitely. Talking about dream come trues, what is one club you want to play with in the future? Oh. This is a tough one. Um, Have I put you on um, the spot here a little a tough bit? One. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, if I, I was to return to Australia, I mean, number Melbourne Victory would be my number one choice, definitely. I have already been back there before, but I do... I do really love that place and they've always looked after me and I have great memories there. So if I was ever to return to Australia and it was possible to go back to them, that would be fantastic for me. I'd love that. What are your hopes for Australian soccer in the future? What do you hope to see? I hope they get rid of the salary cap, what we spoke about earlier. And then also, like you said, the relegation and promotion would be fantastic. I think it'd just bring a whole new dimension to Australian football because as an Australian, you don't really get to see what it's like in leagues where there is promotion and relegation. And like we said before, like the pressure is just uh, completely different. You're always playing for something. So, I mean, that would be fantastic to see if that could happen in Australia and And hopefully it does. I mean, people have been talking a lot about it, so hopefully something changes. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And we just can't wait to see how your career develops in the next few years. Like, you've already accomplished huge things, but you've got big things ahead of you as well. On a funny note, before you head off, we've got a sportsa.pod Instagram page. And a question we posed to our followers a few weeks ago was, who would you like to hear from? And... You were mentioned by Lewis Waddell, so we're giving him a shout-out. Thank you so Louis much again Waddell. for coming on. Good, good on him. Good on him. I miss, I miss Louis. Thanks for tuning in to this installment of Sport, eh? We'll catch you next week.